came out. That was it was the only movie that used that sound in its trailer. Mm-hmm. But then, like, it became the that's meme. a really cool waveform. Mm-hmm. It is. Blah. I just gla- I just. Blah. He was talking about the Inception thing and how he's kind of amused that, like his, uh, the whole um, the blah thing turned into kind of a meme because, like, especially with like movie trailers, everybody started using it after that. And also with the cliched in a world, in a world where they use the same sound effect in all the parody trailers. <laughs> Even though none of the trailers say "in a world" anymore. <laughs> Unironically. In a world. In a world. <laughs> um, in, we live in a society. <laughs> but one man <laughs> wants to change all that with a smile. <laughs> Joker. Rated, rated PG. Rated G. The VHS copy featuring a... Uh, <laughs> a uh the VHS copy featuring a uh music video by Pearl Jam. <laughs> Don't call me Joker. <laughs> is, that, is that Pearl Jam? I think it's Pearl Jam. Don't call me daughter. I don't know. Coming exclusively to VHS and Laserdisc. Coming soon to Disney DVD. Um, speaking of Disney, I, uh, according to reviews of Mulan, I mean, none of these are it's bad. It's bad because they took everything fun out of it. That sounds exactly like my review of Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, at well, least they still had the musical bits. But the musical did they? bits were I thought they said they were going to take out the musical bits. No, in, in Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, Beast, they did. But the musical oh, okay. bits felt less magical and very neutered. Yeah. Like... We want to have a whimsical teapot jump around and sing, but it also needs to look like something not out of hell. Weird. Yeah, it needs to look like it fits in the real world next to Emma Watson, which is like. Let's be real. Nothing in the real world, next to Emma Watson, looks good. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. Where, where are I was just like, where is well, this like, going? He's, comp- he's complimenting Emma Watson. Yeah, That's which, what he's doing. <laughs> Emma Watson, if you're listening, shout out to and you. And we know you are. <laughs> All two of you. Uh, let Emma us know Watson how your be. wife, you, is doing. Because she may, wasn't she, didn't she like marry herself or something weird like that? Yes. Uh, according to random Facebook post. Yeah, I'm not sure. Which, you which I don't entirely believe. Posts, they're the most reliable source. Yeah. According to random internet new humor, uh, according to random internet rumors, Sylvester Stallone's died like three times. So. And Macaulay Culkin was dead. Yeah. And Steve from Blue's Clues died of, like, drug overdose or something, even though he's, like, perfectly fine. Yeah. but Writing children's songs. So, is that... Are you sure that was in real life, or they were referring to the in-canon explanation for his disappearance from the Blue's Clues show? 
Um, <laughs> no, like the going. Because <laughs> if you dive into Blue's Clues deep lore, uh, Blues. you would know about. He traded Steve's. in the blue dog for the blue meth, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, that was like the urban legend all the way, like growing up. Like Steve actually was like this uh, emo character or whatever. And it's just like the simple solution, or the, the simple explanation is like, nope, I was going bald and I wanted to make children's music. So I left the show. <sighs> so I mean. Reality can often be disappointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Reality, Reality what I want can be it. whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I can turn Drax into a slinky. Did he actually? Or no, that? who was it? No, it was Mantis turned into like a weird slinky thing. I haven't seen those. I we, we I should rewatch uh, the Infinity War last and two Endgame. Avengers films. Yeah, I have rewatched Infinity War once. And I have yet to rewatch Endgame. I feel like, in context, I'll enjoy the both of them a lot better. Oh yeah, just because. Yeah, it won't quite capture the magic of sitting in the front row of the theater and looking, having to physically turn your neck. Um, to look at something on the left side of the screen. Yeah, because we were on the the the, f- the very front row, or like, might have been the second. A good row, friend of ours is like, yeah. I got us tickets in advance so we get good seats. I was like, okay, good. Because every Marvel film I've been to recently, I waited too long and I had to sit in the front row and it kind of sucked. So hopefully you get good seats. Oh yeah, these are good seats. They're a couple rows back. Two rows back. Like literally two (laughs) rows back from the very front. The ideal theater seating is like... Middle. Yeah, middle. Because you get the best sound. Small small size theater, you get like uh, middle rows and like... Aisle seats. Yeah, luckily it was Dream Loungers, so you could like lay back, and that helped. But I don't know. I with the Dream Lounge chairs in the theater, I just kind of set those like a medium, so I don't fall asleep, and I don't want to be like completely laying down because then I feel all sluggish and weird when I get up. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, the theaters in town here opened up um, recently. Yeah. I'm I not really sure how long that'll really last. Miss going to movies, yeah. but. Tenet is like the only movie I've heard of people going to, last which is another I saw was like right the, as COVID was hitting, mm-hmm. and I went to a movie with Rachel. We went and watched uh, Pixar's Onward. Oh yeah, I kind of want to watch that. It's pretty all right. There's a lot of movies. It is. It, it hit me in the older brother. So ah uh, okay. Smacked me right in the older as, brother. As, I'm going to take something about you and emotionally manipulate you a little bit to make you cry. And I'm like, I don't want to cry, Pixar. I just want to enjoy your movie. Oh, yeah. Clean it up, brother. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Are people. So, uh, at at the seminary, we have um, some of. We are at a Benedictine monastery. It's where the seminaries run out of. Mm -hmm. And the monks make peanut butter. As one of their labora, because mm. they're Benedictines, they ora and they labora. Do they grow peanuts or do they buy them oh, and then oh, make oh, the peanuts? I would, uh, I would assume they buy them. Mm. I don't. I don't, I don't think, think it's warm enough to grow peanuts. No, but anyway, they they make some peanut butter and they call it peanut brother. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have to tweet that at Brother Teresa. I will. I will. I'll make sure to. Yeah. I'm sure he'll love it. <laughs> Is it just like a boom loud over the O? Peanut brother. <laughs> no. The monks aren't in on the memes, you see. Oh. They're a bit a little busy aura at and at laboring. 
is the the way yeah, about this, the world. The motto of the Benedictines is ora et labora. Pray the it motto of Saint Saint Meinrad is ora et labora et labora et labora et labora. <laughs> Lots of labora, labora borealis. Did you watch that eight-bit steamed hams? No, I sent to the group to chat that. earlier today. I basically got off work, went to daily mass, came home, ate dinner, talked to the best man for the bachelor party this weekend, and started the podcast. But I do intend to watch that. That's it's the eight-bit cover of the piano dub of steamed hams, right? Yes. Yeah, that is two memes removed from the original and it's it's a, that is a within a it's meme. a tier a tier three meme <laughs> is what you call that this is beyond memeing yeah uh tier. memes uh find a way yeah let's see earlier i was as I was trying to come up with a topic for today, I was thinking about the different DC films. We're going to have to do the Nolan trilogy at some point. At some point. I would like we to will. rewatch them first. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Maybe reread some of the comics they're based on. That'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, for like the source material? Yeah. I don't think we'd be able to get an- our, uh, a- Andrew in for a guest appearance any time in the near future, given wedding stuff. Given his current... Uh, uh, yeah, scenario. Mm-hmm. How busy he is, and will likely be afterwards. He's in general a getting, busy guy. Yeah, yeah. he also lives four married. hours away. So. Yeah, there's that. A little bit of a, a little bit of bummer, but maybe we can do something he'll like because he's a big Batman guy. I, I love how we measure distance and time. Yeah, and, and based on how long it takes to get there. Well, because it's it seems more tangible, honestly, than just thinking around miles. Because like four hours somewhere in North Dakota is almost twice as far as four hours somewhere in Minnesota just because you're driving in a straight line much faster in North Dakota than you are in Minnesota. You know, that that is an accurate statement because mm-hmm. there's a lot more straight going on in uh, in North Dakota. <laughs> it is less straight in Minnesota. <laughs> Indeed. 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 <laughs> Oh goodness, um, but yeah, no, it's gonna be um, uh, it's gonna be a good time. It's, it's almost be. exactly a thousand miles from Fargo to here. Mm. I think I went nine hundred ninety-one. So you only had eight more to go. Why'd you stop? You could walk I back. I got where I was. I could and fall that down would take at me our door. Per- <laughs> <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're about to take a deep dive deep into the multi multiple layers. Several layers deep. Yes. The before we do that. Speaking of layers, we're talking about Shrek. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. No. Just kidding. No. No. Uh, we're not doing Shrek. Someday. I know. It may be an April Fool's episode. Yeah. Well, now they know. But they'll forget because that's like six months away or more. And there's only two people listening, and we'll have so many more people listening. But they, 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 won't, they won't even know about it. Way more of the two. Yeah. We might even have bumpers by then. So 
stay tuned for that. Um, I intend to get on that, on the ball there. But no, we are the Palladian Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. We are today not talking about Shrek, but something else that's very layered. Uh, Christopher Nolan's film Inception. So, Inception. Most, it's, let's see, when did it come out? Was it 2008? It was, was it kind of... After the Dark Knight, but before Dark Knight Rises, kind of. I that. believe it was 2008. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. It came out the summer we went. No, it might have been nine. Somewhere yeah. in there. Because I, know, I remember it. I think uh, Batman or the Dark Knight came out. 2010. Oh, 2010. I knew that okay. off the top of my head. I did not just Google that. But yeah, it came because I, I know Dark Knight came out in 2005, right? Or was that Dark Knight Rises? Oh, it, was, it was after that. Any, at any rate, Dark Knight. Dark Knight came out two thousand eight, I think. Oh, yep, that's what it was. Anyway, Christopher Nolan. Batman Begins was probably ba- two thousand five. Correct, that's right. Anyhow, um, so the movie, um, ba- the basic premise of the movie is that human dreams are accessible through this weird drug device thing that's never really fully explained. But you can plug in basically with another person and access their dreams, um, and people will hide their deepest secrets or things they want to keep secret in a safe somewhere in their dreamscape. And so Mr. Cobb, played by uh, Leo DiCaprio, um, he is, and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, are these guys who specialize in corporate espionage and theft by basically hijacking the dreams of competitive uh corporate people for other companies and stealing trade secrets and selling them and they're sort of criminals that go about and do this sort of mercenary like um so they do this one job i believe mr saito is the name of the man he's like this japanese businessman they're paid to they're paid to incept or no not incept they're paid to uh Extract, is that what it was called? I forget what the term is. I think so. Yeah, extraction, stealing information from this guy. And it turns out this guy has been trained to deal with extractors. So um, things go wrong and uh, the job goes bad, so they get out of there. Um, But Mr. Saito, because he's like this crazy, rich, really powerful businessman, tracks them down and is like, hey, I let you guys live. Um, I need you to help me dismantle this uh, competitor's um, empire that he inherited from his father, um, like business empire. Um, and I want you to try planting an idea in this guy's head to de- to destroy the uh, to destroy it. Otherwise, it won't work, or something along those lines. He doesn't speak very good English in this film, so um, <laughs> or at least it's kind of hard to understand the way that Christopher Nolan makes his uh, dialogue, but. At any rate, so they're paid to try to plant an idea in this competitive competitor guy's head, which is only theoretical. Um, it's only been known to have been done once. By Leonardo DiCaprio's character. On his wife. Which is sad. Yeah. Uh, so they um, put a team together. They uh, get this gal, Ariadne. Um, Ellen Page, I think, is the actress. She um, has to be the architect of the locations in their dreams. And there's this whole sequence where they're putting the tests or they're putting the team together and explaining the mechanics of 
you know, navigating the dreamscape and whatnot. The science doesn't have to make sense. It just has to have rules it follows for it to work in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so essentially, I, I've seen this film several times. And I'm still sorting through how it works. I'm sure that's most people's experience. That's the nature of the movie. But um, essentially, you can go deep about three layers at the deepest into somebody's dream. So, and by layers, we mean dreaming within a dream. Right. Yeah. A dream within a dream. Which is called an inception, which is what the movie is called. No, inception is planting the idea. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Because an idea is inception. Is uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, the trick to it, though, is that um, you have to, in order for the mind to pick up an idea, it has to think it came from itself. So if you try to plant an idea in somebody else's head, then they can just reject it because they have that freedom. You can't tell me what to do. Exactly. So the example they use in the movie is like, if I'm telling you, don't think about elephants, what are you thinking about right now? Elephants. So, but you knew that I tried to put that idea in your head. Whereas if you, you have to do it, I think you have to dive to like the three layers deep in a dream to plant an idea. Um, Or so they think. Uh, Or no, that's, that's right. Um, and so they start the job and then the side to the businessman's like, I want to come along with you to, um, cause of a, cause I'm curious B because I'm paying you and C, I want to make sure you do this right. Um, so they go along, they, they, things are going well enough. Um, they have to kidnap the consciousness of the businessman that they're trying to incept in the dream. And, but he's also been trained to, uh, you know, fight against extractors. And so what happens is a person's mind will create these projections of people and things in the dream. Um, and the, once the mind figures out there is a adversary, they attack like white blood cells to get rid of you. So if you die in a dream, you wake up kind of like, if you die in the dream, you die in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, but because they're going so many levels deep and they're getting drugged to, you know, accommodate this, um, if you die in the dream in this state, you will actually go to the fourth level of dreams, which is, which wasn't really known really, but it's called limbo. So time flows differently. Like the deeper you go, the longer time is in the upper levels or something like that. It, um, but you could be stuck. Your consciousness could be stuck in this limbo for ages and ages. And by the time you get out, it's only been a few minutes in the real world, like the conscious world. Um, so you, you could potentially go insane. Kind um, of, uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio and his wife did. Yeah. Because him, Leo DiCaprio and his wife, Maul were really happy together. Short for Maul, short for Molly. Something yeah. I was confused about as a 14 yeah. year old. Yeah. Same. I, <laughs> Um, him and his wife like like to jump into dreams together and do all sorts of fun stuff and create worlds and dreams. Um, Leo DiCaprio was a dream architect, so he'd build these worlds and stuff. And they, uh, so they went into limbo and basically built a life for themselves in this dream state. And so they would like recreate their childhood homes. They built a house for themselves and built like all this stuff. Um, but, uh, they were there for such a long time that um, slowly Maul started to like 
prefer this level to um to the actual real world and so leo's like i kind of want to go back to the real world and like you know spend time with our real kids and stuff like that and so he convinces her that they need to basically have a train in the dream world kill them so it kicks them and wakes them up in real life um but to do that he has to incept an idea she he has to convince her to do it and so he accidentally incepts in her this idea that this life isn't the real life um so they have to die to go to real life again and so so she got, goes kind of insane um and commit and basically commits suicide while they're supposed to be on vacation to try to you know fix things up in the real world in the real world she commits suicide um and because she had gone a little crazy she also got a doctor to write this thing to say that she was perfectly sane and so Cobb had been framed for her murder and he's been on the run ever since basically he can't go back to the united states um so part of the motivation for him accepting this inception job from mr saito is that he's like i'm going to use my connections to clear your name so you can go and see your your two children again that's also why he got somebody else to be the dream architect because he doesn't trust himself right and because his projection of maul keeps showing up in his dreams and hijacking things so part of the reason why this the Inception mission starts to go wrong is this projection of all shows up like driving a train through traffic um, and, you know, like showing up and like killing the guy they're trying to incept in a third level of the dream. So he goes into limbo. They have to rescue him. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like disrupting him. So he basically has to face up to her, the projection of her, because it's in his own brain. It's not actually hers his projection he has to sort of let go of her and forgive himself for what he did to her so that's kind of his arc um so they go to limbo and rescue the guy and plant the idea in his head and it's all hunky-dory and then they wake up in the real world and everything's happily ever after or is it or is it another thing in the dream world is that because your mind gets so accustomed to dreams you sort of have to figure out ways to connect with real life. So it would be able to or tell distinguish one, it rather distinguish it real life from a dream. So people will have these things called totems that only they know the size, weight, shape of this thing. And so they can feel it with their, use their senses and know that they're in the real world. Cobb's problem is he's using his wife's old totem, which is this top. So at the end of the film, um, Cobb goes top back to meaning his, like a a spinning top. a spinning top, yeah, right. yeah. Not not just one to of clarify, yeah, yeah, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, uh, a a top a, that a spins dreidel. <laughs> it was well, it was, I think it was like metal or whatever. Sure, it doesn't really matter. Whatever. Point um, is, if he spins it and it doesn't fall down, he knows it's in a dream. Mm-hmm. But if he spins it in real life and it falls down, then he knows he's in real life. So, um, at the end of the film, he goes back to his two kids. Another thing is he always sees like these visions of his kids, but then like it's his memory of uh, the day he left them and he didn't wait, stay long enough to see their faces one last time. So he always sees them in his dreams, like that last moment where he only sees the back of their heads. So they turn and run to him and hug him and is like, daddy. But then he started, when he got back to his house, he started spinning the top on the table and spinning and spinning and slowly the camera zooms in on it twitches a little bit and cuts to black that's the end of the movie so it's kind of ambiguous whether or not this is just Cobb's dream that he's back with his kids or 
it's real life. Most people, I feel like, kind of interpret it as this is real life. That was just kind of a tease mm-hmm. because the top wiggles a bit at the end. And that's, you know, usually the evidence people use that it's probably real life. I forget what Christopher Nolan himself interpretation. Yeah. Um, yes. So the film is pretty complicated. There's a lot more to it. Um, it's simpler than I think people usually give it credit for, though. Like it just takes a bit to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Yeah. You you likely won't fully get what's going on the first time you watch it. Mm-hmm. By the time you've seen it twice, you probably will have mostly grasped. A pretty it. firm grasp, yeah. But it's one of those movies that's definitely worth rewatching to make sense of things and see where things are foreshadowed and mm-hmm. followed up on. And, and the filmmaking, like the thing is though, even if you don't completely understand what's going on. Like, the action's really good. It's really well shot. The special effects and visual effects are really good. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure they filmed the train plowing through cars, like, for real. <laughs> or something like I, I forget. I was watching a video on how they did it. Neat. But, yeah, it was just something nuts like that. Um, but, yeah. I think... I think Nolan has a habit of telling stories non-linearly. And he plays with time. That's kind of one of his things. Right. So, so there's... With the like exception of the Batman of the, films. Yeah. But there's portions of the movie where you're not sure where you are. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the point because it's like, are we in the dream world? Are we in real life? Past, present, future? It's yeah. all... He, he really he really plays with time and space. Yeah. Another feature of like the whole sort of heist deal they do in the guy's mind is... There's these things called kicks where, like, if you fall down or, like, splash in water or something, it'll, your body will wake you up to as a reflex. And so to get, as, like, a safety net to get themselves out of the dream, they have these synchronized kicks. And they account for the time differences because I think um, it's something like, you know, a dream lasts twice as long. It feels twice as long in the first level of the dream and so forth. So it multiplies or something like that. But that these synchronized, um, yeah, kicks that would wake them up, and so they have to get this thing done in time for the for them to ride their kicks all the way to waking up or whatever. All the other kids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it makes more sense in the movie. Um, yeah, it it really is kind of hard to explain like the mechanics and. Of, of how it all works even without seeing it even even yeah even when you do see it it's still confusing but mm-hmm. it makes a lot more sense when you can actually watch it happen yeah mm-hmm. one of the other i guess key characters in the movie is iriadne who is this young brilliant kid um who Cobb recruits to be his dream architect um for the heist and so like this sort of uses a tool to like explain how this all work, like dreams work and stuff. And so as he's like teaching her different things about a dream. Um, but as time goes on, she, she starts to notice like this Cobb's projection of mall keeps showing up. And so she sort of digs into that because he's not really telling anybody about this thing. Like his other, his partner knows, but that's about it. Um, and so she eventually like gets to the bottom of like what, what the heck happened to his wife and, and whatnot so um yeah she's another key character and we like the audience sort of sees things like learns things through her perspective somewhat 
mm. in that regard. Um, there's some pretty, I mean, I feel like Christopher Nolan has like a list of like regular actors, like Michael Caine is Cobb's dad. Scarecrow is the rich guy. Oh yeah. Um, I don't remember what his name is in the movie. Uh, Tom Hardy is in this is like sort of a guy who can disguise himself as different people in dreams. Um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is uh, Arthur, like the partner dude. Saito is, uh, he is the guy from, he's like the main Japanese dude in The Last Samurai. Like sort of the village chief. Um, He's in some other films too. I think Godzilla. (laughs) Let them fight. Uh, Like the modern Godzilla. Yeah, by modern Godzilla you mean like 2014? Yeah. Okay. Modern day 2014. Because there, there was one that was really bad in the early 2000s. That I saw that. About. It was bad. Okay. I'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> I was I was moderately curious about like the the remake thing, but then or the the new version, but eh. I haven't heard anything eh. particularly good about it. Anyhow, anyway. tangent. So truth, I think one of the main things, the dream, or or like the. Uh, movie plays around with is how we perceive reality and what we know to be real like there's the classic question of like you know are we are we really awake right now how can you tell mm-hmm. um which has been handled by you know different philosophers through the ages i think aquinas's answer to this was like um how do you know what's real use your senses and i think that's sort of reflected in people having totems that they use like their senses to like you know, sort of reality check, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so that's kind of one idea, I guess, pull out of that. Um, also, I guess, um, there's some interesting stuff with how it kind of plays into cognition, which is this whole deal, metaphysically and philosophically and whatnot but essentially the idea of like projections kind of reminds me of like phantasms and like ideas that form in your mind so there's different things like that if you care to read read up on it i recommend it i can't remember off the top of my head i wrote a whole paper about cognition the process of cognition i should have just had that in front of me but it would have been kind of dry and people might not appreciate it. but anyway yeah reality the concept of concept of reality um i guess to um, sort of Cobb's inner conflict and him and his wife were like, you know, building this dream world for themselves instead of uh, living in the real world with their actual life. Yeah, she she prefers living in this dream fantasy where he wants to have something substantial and real, mm-hmm. not some idyllic uh, falsehood. Yeah. And so that's kind of a conflict that comes back to bite him. Um, but also the way he goes about it was destructive mm-hmm. yeah and so Cobb's whole motivation is to get out of this crazy life and kind of manipulating and abusing you know people other people's dreams kind of their inner sanctum their psyche you know for personal gain or for you know to like make money off of people mm-hmm. um and that's kind of messed up too uh michael kane was he was Michael Caine character Cobb's father or was he Maul's father? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I thought he was Cobb's father. 
But like he says, like so you you want to get another one of my students to corrupt or something like that because Iriadne is like his professor dad's student or whatever. Sure. And it's sort of implied that Cobb learned from his father, like a lot of the theoretical stuff behind dreams and kind of used it, played with it and used it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all portrayed in kind of a negative light. Like as cool as this stuff is like it's invasive. Yeah, It's invasive. You're messing with people's minds and their intellects, which is kind of the most sacred inner sanctum of their being. So, um, yeah, let's see what are, what other truths can we pull out of, um, uh, inception. Messing with people's conception of reality makes them go insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not a cool thing to do. No. Don't go doing it. If you must be, like, agonizingly careful about the way you do it. it you know, like, theoretically, it's not really possible with right. what we have right now. But, mm-hmm. no, it's a science fiction piece. It, right, Its exactly. purpose is to be hypothetical. And to be to be thought-evoking. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not impossible to rule out. It's not, yeah. You can't rule out the possibility of something like this ever existing. It's, so. It seems to be kind of mesi- metaphysically improbable. If you think about it that way. Just, yes. like, the idea of, like, you know, as human beings, like, being able to, like, gaze directly into another person's intellect is physically impossible um Mm -hmm. only god can do that um even angels can't read people's minds so don't go playing god yeah but it's an interesting for the sake of yeah for science fiction and whatnot it's an interesting uh exploration um there's another thought i had but i can't remember um I guess there's some, it's sort of a commentary too, like we're talking about like the whole, the real life and responsibility, like actually loving their kids and stuff in real life versus like sort of living in a fantasy world of your own, like your own sort of personal little paradise mm-hmm. where you make things just so. Another thing too is uh, um, when they come, when they go back to limbo, it's kind of crumbling. Like, cause over like, um, you can see all the stuff that Cobb and uh, and his wife had made that's just kind of falling apart now. So it's sort of reflecting that Cobb is like starting to let go, and these things are starting to slip away. Uh, also, I think Saito also ends up in limbo, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he gets he gets killed in one of the upper levels, and so they have to rescue him as well as the rich guy. But. Um, yeah, it's not really in the truth department. I just I just remember that bit. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty good for truth. For the most part. Um yeah. it sort of has a, a it runs parallel to the sort of thing that SAO talks about for a little while. Yeah. But the difference there is that they always take it back to the real world. No, that's kind of what the end goal of everything is. Mm-hmm. Even though sometimes they might prefer to stay in the virtual they the always the value of the real world is always acknowledged yeah um where this movie the point is more to question everything yeah and so it also sort of um one thing you can take away from it is like well i i guess it, i would say it's more of a cautionary tale against like shutting out the real world and uh-huh. staying in solely with reality yeah because that isn't 
really even shared with anyone else. Yeah, because that's kind of one of the things with like insanity and different things where it's like, and like moral relativism and all that too is like people like rejecting reality and trying to build their own fantasy worlds. Things quickly fall into chaos and go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't even acknowledge reality exists outside of you and your little world that you build for yourself. Um, and that there are good things outside of you that you can, you know, experience like having a family or something like that. Right. Everything an example. that they built in the dream was directed inward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Rather selfishly. Yeah. Which is kind of the point. It's like, and ev- everything that they do, like when diving into the, the dreams of other people, it's very selfish, personal, gamey. Kind of nihilistic to a point. Yeah. There, there's really no good reason that they ever have to dive into other people's dreams. Mm-hmm. It's always invasive and malicious. Mm-hmm. Another thing, too, is like in order for the idea to take in this guy, they actually have to play on his relationship with his father and sort of bring him catharsis Um because he had sort of a complication, a complicated relationship with his late father and he inherited this business empire from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in order to plant the idea, they have him go back to his father's deathbed who tells him, you know, how much he actually loved him. And then, you know, he wants him to make his own life for himself. And that convinces him to break up the, the, uh, the com- like the uh, corporate empire. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, there's kind of an interesting thing there too. Um, goodness. Although people are doing kind of highly unethical things at the beginning of the movie, like Cobb is definitely trying to like get out of, you know, he's trying to leave this all behind him mm-hmm. and make up for his past wrongs. Cause it turns out killing his wife leaves a bad taste in his mouth mm-hmm. about the whole thing. Yeah. Inadvertently killing his wife, I should say. Yeah. Driving her mad when all he was trying to do is bring her back to the real world in, in the wrong way though. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, goodness. Uh, it kind of uh, forms a almost fatherly relationship with the uh, Ariadne. Yeah, he sort of is trying to steer her away from away from becoming what he is because it's ter- it turns out she's pretty talented at this dream architecture stuff and she takes to it really fast. And he's trying to like keep her from you know basically turning into him. Um, Because that's kind of how he started out, too. Mm -hmm. And so there's that whole, you know, don't, you know, learn from my mistakes kind of dynamic that they have together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Beauty. Again, very well shot. Hans Zimmer score. Excellent. Excellent, Very atmospheric. Yeah. I I think the special effects above all are kind of the the high point of the the appeal of this movie in a aesthetic sense because mm-hmm. it's just like all the the scenes where the the city just like folds in half and rearranges itself into something completely different mm-hmm. as like, they're like walking through it is just mind-boggling the hotel hallways that like stretch and rotate uh, during mm-hmm. during like a hand to hand fight scene, yeah, and like gravity's all flipping weird, and it's and some of the filmmaking techniques too were like they're talking about how um, you never know when a dream starts, 
and the scene just begins where they're like sitting in a like in a like a cafe outside or like at a outdoor restaurant of some sort and so like the scene just starts in the middle of this conversation it's like you know you never know how a dream starts like how do we get here and and like the girl's like um i and then the audience is like um wait had, we did, we weren't told <laughs> we yeah. just assumed basically. yeah it's like the the editing in this film mm-hmm. is spot on yeah and because it's in dreams it allows for like things that are physically impossible such as an endless staircase and that sort of thing which is used as a tool some really creative set pieces in this mm-hmm. film um that are just visually fantastic yeah um christopher nolan is a pretty masterful visual storyteller as well as uh atmosphere he's very good at building atmosphere that's kind of him and his chemistry with Hans zimmer that way oh yeah um yeah very aesthetic very aesthetic unity um the film definitely ties together it uh in fact it's got sort of a classic nolan thing where you know messes with the concepts of time so the beginning of the movie is something that actually happens at the end of the movie kind of sort of um and the middle stuff happened before the movie and mm-hmm. the <laughs> but like the 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 the, the, the the movie explains the rules it's playing by and sticks to them yeah it doesn't deviate That's from like the way it, the mechanics of dreaming and it uses those like as part of the storytelling. Again, that's what good science fiction does. Mm-hmm. Good science fiction doesn't follow like natural rules or real science rules. It follows them just enough and then makes up its own rules. And as long as it's consistent with its own rules, you can suspend your disbelief at the door mm-hmm. and have a good time with it. Yeah. But it's when they start contradicting themselves and being like, but wait, that's not a thing you can do. Yeah. It does brain bending stuff, but then it tells you you know this is what this means in this movie mm-hmm. and sticks to that so because otherwise it would get it would start to get kind of convoluted and vapid and wouldn't make a whole lot of sense it would just look like the movie's doing whatever the heck it wants to do mm-hmm. which it kind of does but at least it gives us an excuse because especially when you're tr- dealing with trippy stuff like dreams you have to sort of figure out some way to make sense out of that because Dreams don't make sense. But the other thing is, everyone's had dreams, and so every rule they can make about dreams is like, oh yeah, that makes you think I've, about dreams you've had. Right, and it's like, oh yeah, I've experienced that. That you makes never know when sense. a dream starts. Right. Like it's kind of a true thing. Um, different things like that are super so. It's cool. like it makes sense because we've experienced it, even though like it's not science fact. Mm-hmm. So it makes rules that we can relate to and make sense to us, so we'd like accept it. Yeah. That's what, it's just good science fiction. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but also in like, in like the overarching themes of the movie, the, yeah. the question of reality and yeah. the, 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 what's real, what's a dream. Uh, all that is really everything to do in there, in that movie. I guess one so thing I want to backtrack to, maybe Riley could comment on this too, is like as Catholics, I sort of referenced it a little bit, but as Catholics, how do we deal with philosophically the question, like, how do we know what's real? Like, there's the ways of knowing, of course. Which there is are the many ways of knowing. Through, like, um, there's, like, empirical knowledge, and then there's also, like, 
Logical knowledge. Yeah, there's this. There is phenomenology, which is a fancy word for just common sense, like using your senses and perception and taking that at face value, which is sort of essentially what Aquinas says you should do. Like, Mm -hmm. unless you have a legitimate reason to doubt what your senses tell you, don't. Mm You know, in the case of the dream world you have your totem that is a piece of evidence that would suggest to you that you're in a dream and therefore not every rule that you're experiencing is necessarily the way things are in reality and the characters in that movie have a reasonable reason to doubt their senses Mm -hmm. they do but if you're an Enlightenment philosopher, <laughs> you'd like to believe that everyone should forget everything they ever knew and start from scratch. Yeah. And that anything, everything you know can only come from pure reason. Which is... What's g- their reasoning? Yeah. <laughs> the, what the, sort of the experiences fun... led you to believe that? Yes. They don't... What sort of reason has led you to believe that? Mm-hmm. Because you... It would have to be, you have to be able to reason to that. That reason is the only thing that you can use. One, one of the weirdest to things reality. about like the most extreme bits of the Enlightenment was like with the French Revolution, where they literally set up Notre Dame as a temple to reason. So they got rid of God and replaced and made a god out of reason. So it's like, I, do you not see what you did? Did di- okay? Yeah, that that that's reasonable. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> I was actually, uh, I think the most recent Bishop Barron podcast was like, they were sort of commenting on a, on a, a book, I believe it was called something like like uh, Creating Athe- Atheists or something like that. But uh, they, were, they were commenting on this piece that was talking about how to like talk to a religious person as an atheist and try to bring them to doubt, you know, how they you know, their beliefs in God and how they came to know them. Like, you know, mm. um, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of funny because Bishop Baring is pretty animated with those sorts of things. That annoy him a little bit because they're, they're usually, there aren't very many new arguments for atheism that haven't already been addressed, but mm-hmm. it kind of deals with like, how do you know, like, this is, re- this is what's what. And sort of like, sometimes that question sort of ignore, ignores the obvious. So don't ignore the obvious. <clears throat> Truth is exists. Reality exists outside of you. You know that through your senses. And you may as <clears throat> I mean, not to get all like sort of paraphrasing Pascal's wager or anything, but you may as well believe that reality exists because otherwise you'll just go insane. That's not, well, not really direct. Like Pascal's wager is like God may or may not exist, but may as well act as if he does sort of that's very the consequences of not are much worse than the consequences of acting as if he doesn't exist Mm -hmm. as if if you guess wrong you go to hell if you guess right oh you get 70 years of doing whatever you want Mm -hmm. if he does exist and you do live your life for him you get to spend eternity in happiness and if he doesn't you spent 70 years maybe a little less than you would have liked to Mm mm-hmm it's so kind yeah. of hedging your bets, pretty much. But it's well. not exactly the same thing, but 
hedge your bets against reality because that that'll just make your life so much better Mm -hmm. if you accept reality um and try to learn more about it and understand it and understand your place in it you'll end up a much happier insane person and you'll be able to relate to others a lot better too but uh, others aren't real yeah nihilism is so juicy it's like we have so much in common i exist you exist we all I can exist relate to you on that level. Together. <laughs> How crazy is it that we exist? Actually, though. Actually, though. Why be? To be or not to be? That is certainly a question. That is an question. And singular question. Will we ever cover Shakespeare in this podcast? No. Probably not. Probably not. No. There's some solid stuff in there, but we're not quite the podcast for that. No. That stopped being pop culture 100 years ago. Yeah. I don't have the energy for that. I mean, Shakespeare's fun stuff. It is. I want to, like, the pride and joy of my nerddom, like, the nerdiest (laughs) thing I own is Shakespeare's Star Wars by Mm -hmm. Ian Dosher. Mm -hmm. They are the most delightfully stupid things. They're Star like, Wars in just the like, iambic pentameter. Yeah, iambic pentameter, yeah. old-timey like Shakespeare language, even a few new made-up words that combine the, the Star Wars lingo. It is just so great. You thought Anakin's love dialogue was <laughs> dorky in the movie. Wait till you get a load of this sap. <laughs> so funny. Uh, good stuff. Um, for more good stuff, you can listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Um, you can follow us at PalPapis when I remember to tweet on Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us with your questions, comments, concerns, and complaints. I remember this there you time. Go. Good job. And uh, at uh, the palladiumpapis at gmail.com. Um, if you have suggestions for a future episode, let us know. Uh, yeah, we will catch you guys next week with more. We haven't caught anybody yet. No, it's kind of hard to catch them. We need to keep checking the traps. Breathe, 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 breathe. breathe. Yeah. Anyway, I said that a lot. (laughs) Later.